Hi, this is our Excusa podcast. This is a podcast about product strategy and artificial intelligence. Today, I prepared for you a very exciting conversation with Reed Blackman, who is a CEO of a consulting agency, but also he's a member of senior board advisors for Ernest & Young EY company. So he's very, very talented PhD person. What does Reed do? He is in artificial and ethics. Yes, he takes care about artificial intelligence, meaning he wants artificial intelligence to act ethically so we can be sure that your drive, that your uh, autonomous car, that your smartphone, everything will give you uh, ethical output. I was, I had the pleasure to conduct an interview with Reed Blackman through my Facebook Live videos. By the way, every second Friday at 10 a.m. you can watch live videos and interviews with artificial intelligence people. You can watch them on YouTube or Facebook. And this recording is last interview with Reed Blackman. So whenever there will be something about ask questions or type questions, forgive me, but this is a file that I extracted after the video conversation, live conversation with Reed. So enjoy it and have a great day. Bye-bye. Okie dokie. So uh, I'm in Dallas, guys. Reed is in New York City. Um, he's in Brooklyn, so um, that's what we're doing today. It's amazing how we can connect together in the COVID-19 times. But this is not about COVID, it's about artificial intelligence and ethics. So um, we would like you to push, we, I would love to push you guys to that moment when you start thinking if your smartphone or your car is making an ethical decision. That I'm not talking here about killing people. I'm talking here like if that, per, that smartphone is directing you to the gas station, uh, for instance, of Shell brand, is that ethical? Maybe these guys are doing something in the background and trying to get more sales to, sell, to Shell instead of Valero and other players. So we are talking today about ethics and artificial intelligence. So uh, we have a read. Reed is an amazing guy. He, he runs his own consultancy business and he was going to introduce us to us, but he's also advising uh, Ernest and Young, which is called nowadays EY in artificial intelligence. He's a part of the senior board of directors team. Sounds like a sounding team, but he will tell us more about it. Um, before I give my, the voice to Reed, please remember I have my chat here. I can see there's already a few guys right there. I see your questions. You can ask questions uh, directly here and I will pass them to Reed so he can answer them online today. For those guys that register or Eventbrite, we will be sending an email with a wrap up when you will find a Reed LinkedIn profile, his company profile, so you can go directly to him afterwards and you guys can start conversation if you are in any need. Okay, Reed. So, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit and we start talking about the topics we prepared for everybody. Yeah, sure. Sounds good. So first, thanks for having me. Welcome everyone who's ever there. Uh, my name is Reed Blackman. I'm the founder and CEO of Virtue, an ethical risk consultancy. And we focus on helping companies operationalize digital ethical risk management, which is particularly important in a time when everyone is trying desperately to transform digitally 
because everything is going digital because of the pandemic um, in particular. Um, so I work with clients on those things. Um, I also, as I already mentioned, I'm a senior advisor to Ernst & Young and I serve on their AI advisory board. Um, prior to doing all of this, uh, I was a philosophy professor for a decade, uh, publishing, researching, teaching ethics that whole time. Yeah. So uh, uh, he started, guys, he started to work on that topics before even the artificial intelligence one on the table, or maybe if it was on the table, there was somewhere else we were not even thinking about that. So um, he's, a very, he's a very experienced guy in ethics first, and then artificial intelligence came. And when I was trying to convince people to join us today and the competition in huge cyberspace, everything is running live webinar, I started with the chip under the skin, but I will put that topic on the side a little bit and um, I will ask you, Reed, a general question because from my perspective, I think not many people understand artificial intelligence. I mean, people understand that this is something that can do something on behalf of us. So, for instance, when the Tesla is on the autopilot mode, some yeah, kind yeah. of magical algorithms are going around. Yeah. So that people understand, but tell us like, um, where are we now in this subject of ethics and artificial intelligence? What's going on right there? And uh, why is a big deal? Because certainly it's not on the first page on the newspaper, ethical, artificial intelligence. It might, some, it might be sometimes when the startup or somebody pour a lot of money in artificial intelligence, yeah. but otherwise it's somehow running in the background. So can you give us a perspective, ethics, AI, where we are now, what we, sh what we need to know to catch up? Yeah, sure. So um, there's a couple, first of all, it actually is in the paper quite a bit. Okay. Um, you just, they might not say it's, it's, a, it's AI, but they'll say things like Apple, you know, Goldman Sachs's algorithm for uh, the Apple credit card discriminates against women. And that's an AI. That's an AI issue. Really? Um, oh, you had know. United Healthcare's Optum is uh, is in being investigated by regulators because they allegedly have um, a biased algorithm that directed or recommended to doctors and nurses to pay more attention to white patients than to sick or black patients. That's an AI product. So you actually are seeing this stuff um, in the headlines. You might not see it under the description of artificial intelligence, but it's still going on. So that's the that's the first thing to say. Uh -huh. The second thing to say is in response to your question about like what is artificial intelligence. So let's distinguish between two kinds. Okay. There's artificial general intelligence. Okay. And there's artificial narrow intelligence. General intelligence is all the Terminator stuff. Right? Terminator, <laughs> like the like the uh, the Ernie guy, like the oldest robots like invading Earth. Exactly. Right. Right. The robots, they're, you know, super intelligent. They can do everything humans can do and more, right? That's artificial general intelligence. Um, that's the kind of thing that Elon Musk and Stephen Hawking is and were worried about respectively. Okay. Uh, don't worry about it. At least not for now. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a ways off if it's, if it's going to be existent at all, that's under hot, hotly disputed. The vast majority or the only kind of AI that we have right now, uh -huh. is artificial narrow intelligence okay. and even within artificial narrow intelligence the vast majority of it as you know arc is machine learning okay now that might sound sort of technical but it turns out that the the way that machine learning works lends itself to ethical screw-ups and i mean the kinds of ethical screw-ups that genuinely harm people um genuinely infringe upon privacy uh 
uh, invite lawsuit, invite regulators, right. invite reputational risk. So, you know, these are, these are serious things. Um, here's my sort of very quick crash course of machine learning. It's just learning by example. So my favorite sort of stupid example is, Hey, look, you want to, you got a, you got a new dog. You want to train, you know, you want to upload a picture of your dog to your computer and you want it to sort of recognize that it's your dog or recognize that it's a dog at all. Okay. So how do you do that? You can't tell a computer and be successful if it has two eyes and two ears and a nose and blah, blah, blah then it's a dog. But you can't, you can't do that. There's too many, there's too many of things course. going on. Like lots of, first of all, not all dogs have two eyes. Uh, and lots of animals have two eyes that aren't dogs, like most humans, right? So trying to write that out is just bloody impossible. And so what you do is you just give it a bunch of examples. So you say, okay, hey, computer, hey, software, hey, AI, here's a thousand pictures of dogs. Okay. Go look through those and figure out what the pattern is that unites all these things as making them sort of the single, fall under a single category. When I upload you, the 1,001st picture, if it matches the same, if it has the same kind of pattern that those other first thousand pictures did, then label it dog. If it okay. doesn't have that pattern, label it not dog. And if like your machine learning, your AI did a good job pattern recognizing, then it probably, it's probably gonna get it right. If it didn't, then it'll get it wrong. Um, and then it takes that 1,001st one and use it as an, uses it as another example to learn from, to slightly adjust what pattern it's recognizing among those among pictures one to one thousand one. So, so you are saying like that um, artificial uh, artificial neural intelligence narrow uh, narrow like no, general or narrow yeah. okay intelligence it's most of that is machine learning which is not about like machines and algorithms that much like learning by the example so um, I will I will uh, give you another example like uh, if you go on Facebook. Uh, they try to find like uh, you know deep fakes or the videos that are like uh, produced by computers and yeah. they are putting uh, words in somebody's mouths but yeah. that means that if they want to do that they have yeah. to upload like thousands of other videos or even screenshots whatever we call yeah. it to learn yeah. that algorithm pick up deep fakes that's correct yeah yeah so so look there's like there's two issues here uh -huh. uh, there's one issue with, which is like what are the ethical risks that come along just with the nature of what machine learning is? Okay. So for instance, it requires a shit ton of data. Right. Now that's, that's going to be my data, your data, everyone who's listening data, everyone's data, which means that the fuel, the fuel for machine learning encourages or acquisition of that fuel encourages violations of privacy because companies are incentivized to do whatever the hell they can to get that so they can train their AI, so they can have that product that delivers them bottom line ROI. So it's a the nature of machine learning is such that the fuel, the kind acquiring the fuel, the data encourages violations of privacy. That's a good thing, a fuel, because without that you can't do anything because you will yeah, be making nothing. a lot of mistakes, right? Like the the dog example or cat example you showed. Yeah, you just, you, your machine learning won't get not, no machine learning gets off the ground without data, without okay. some data, but a, a ton of data, right? So there are, and then there are other kinds of things like the outputs that it gives are often or maybe always unexplainable. Like we don't know why. So in the dog example, the AI, the machine learning is not looking at ears and noses. It's looking at pixels and it's finding patterns among pixel levels, right. which means the pattern that it, that it, that it finds 
is utterly incomprehensible to humans. We can't, we don't, we can't process stuff at the pixel level like that. So now if you take that and you use it for, um, uh, you know, determining whether or not someone should get uh, insurance, whether they should get a mortgage, what their credit score should be, whether they should get an interview after they submitted their resume and so on, then you're coming up with decisions um, or recommendations whose rationale you can't explain, which right. seems, it seems worrisome. Right. Um, so look, there's sort of two kinds of things. The, the, one is there's the nature of machine learning encourages violations of privacy. And then the other risks come from the particular way that you apply that engine. So at the end of the day, your, your, your AI is, an, is going to be an engine for a product. Right. Right. And all kinds of products are possible, like deep fakes. And so you have to think not only about the ethical risks that come along with any AI project or any ML project, you have to th think about the ethical risks that come along with the particular kind of product that you're developing and deploying. So, but here is the question. One, one thing is like you, co you collect that data and uh, there's a lot of companies I've been reading about the startup, by the way, they probably they, they might be in New York that they kind of use drones so they can scan the people's properties and then they can help insurance companies to, you know, come up with insurance product, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But also yeah. that's one of part of the ethics, but also like the outcome. But the question is, can AI cheat on you? Like, can it give you a dog, but uh, can it say it's a dog, but in fact, it's not a dog, but uh, it will give you an outcome that you, you will you will make a, a, a specific decision about uh, uh, regard uh, like basing on that outcome, but can it cheat on you? Can it give you a results that, like I said, with gas stations, somebody sends you to Shell because that's the best deal for you, but that might be a better deal, but you are not able to, uh, to verify that because they use so much data to direct you to that gas station that you are not able to even check. Yeah, so there's, so there's sort of, there's two questions there. One is, can it screw up? And, and the second is, can it do its job well, but in a way that's, uh, that, that is unethical. Right. Right. So exactly. The, the, the first one, the first one is of course, it's a piece of technology. It's not perfect. So there are going to surely be false positives and false negatives, right? right? Like this is a dog when in fact it's not a dog, or this is not a dog and it is a dog, or this person deserves a mortgage when in fact they don't. That's, that's even harder because when it comes to, fact they do. to photos or videos, you can kind of like at the end, kind of like compare it visually. But when it comes to decision like, hey, there's a best insurance for you. And then they cannot explain how that was came up with that because that was kind of like prepared by the algorithm. So then you you need to like either jump into that deal or you start asking questions but probably they will not be able to answer all of them <laughs> yeah so yeah so it's helpful to tease apart two issues one is explainability the other is transparency so the way that you think about explainability is whether you whether the the outputs of the ai are actually explainable like uh -huh. do we know how the hell it came to the decision that it did could used to be that you know if you're trying to determine someone's credit score like the algorithm could be very simple, right? And, you know, you take their total income, you subtract their expenses, you multiply right. by their lifetime, blah, 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 whatever, right? Um, maybe you take, you know, some certain kinds of historical facts about them into account and you sort of say like, hey, here's why you got the credit score that you did, or here's why you got approved or why you didn't get approved. But now the, it can't do it. The transparency issue is about how transparent you are or how clearly you communicate to end users 
about what you're doing and why you're doing it, right? So like, hey, so you know, we are using, we're making recommendations about what gas stations that you should go to. And you should know that we are sponsored by Shell. And so we are, you know, we will, the first thing on our list will always be a Shell station because of our sponsorship. Um, yeah. Right? yeah. That would be a kind of transparency. You're right. You're right. So that that takes us to the another question. Like, uh, uh, so um, let's say we have the machine. Uh, I'm not saying about the robot because you said that kind of like a future. But let's say we have a, a let's say a, mm, this is the uh, mm, uh, your your vacuum Hoover that that can be a robot from iRobot company, for instance, and it has a spe specific algorithm that can it can learn how your house is inside yeah. what kind of uh, uh, floor you have so it can adjust the brushes and everything like that it's a pretty smart yeah, yeah. it's a running computer that just clean your house and yeah. the question is um can can because that that machine can start doing other stuff it can bring you a beer right if somebody put it somewhere on that it can go somewhere and somebody can put a beer it can be a, like a you know running table whatever but sure, sure. will that robot and i'm talking about the robots we already experienced like cars like this kind of things like other toys we use will they have responsibilities for that decision i know there's a vast discussion about that the creator of the algorithm should be responsible but how you see that? Like, who is going to be responsible for my car um, uh, just uh, taking a hard left so my kid at the back is kind of harmed? Who, who, because otherwise, that's my fault. When I, when I drop the beer, I, I, yeah. that's my fault. But what's going on here? Yeah, I mean, so look, first of all, when it comes to, there's, there's two kinds of, you know, when you talk about fault, you have to talk on the one hand, there's legal fault, and then there is, if you like, ethical or moral fault. Okay. A legal fault I don't know about. I'm not a lawyer. Um, but it's also the case that a lot of the law is just not settled because the law the, it's, uh, the law hasn't caught up to the technology and, and likely never will. Okay. Um, look, when it comes to people developing robots or any kind of AI machine or emerging tech machine, they are, they are taking on a certain kind of responsibility. And when, because you are, you know, you're taking on some task. When you take on certain tasks, you have to do it at least minimally decently well. Yes. Right. Like, that's the, you know, maybe maybe you didn't um, take a sort of a kind of analogous case. You didn't have to volunteer the soup kitchen, but now that you have volunteered, you can't just go there and just start pouring soup on the floor. Right. Of course. You have an obligation now to like, as long as you're going to be there to behave yourself appropriately, to pour soup properly or give food out, et cetera. Um, similarly, you don't have to design robots, you know, to sell to consumers. But once you do, you take on a certain kind of responsibility to do it minimally decently well. So when I think about accountability and responsibility, I don't expect a kind of perfection. And I don't think anyone expects a kind of perfection from the developers. But what they do expect is that they're not negligent. Or they're not reckless. So the question is, have they in developing the robot or whatever it is, the product, have they gone through some kind of due diligence process where they look yeah. at the ways that things can get ethically screwed up? Right? If they're like, oh, to hell with it, like we don't care. Yeah, maybe this is gonna like pick up some glass in one place of the house and move it to some other place, like the kid's bedroom, and some kid will cut his feet, but that's not our problem, right? <laughs> Um, you wouldn't think that that was okay. You'd think like, no, no, you got to think seriously about 
how this thing works in such a way that um, it minimizes certain kinds of risks. Sure. Right? So, so you are saying like this is kind of like a like a general rule that if somebody is putting a product on a market or a service and if it's um, like a old classical algorithm driven or the new modern top notch AI driven, <clears throat> excuse me, at the end is a product. And if that company is serious like Google, Apple, Airbnb, they want that product to shine. They don't want to make the obvious mistakes because otherwise, of course, we will just drop that brand and move to another brand, right? So that's the one yeah. thing. The reason I ask this question is like many people, when they hear about artificial intelligence, and I personally think that they don't understand how that works, maybe they shouldn't even do that, but they, under, they, they are kind of afraid that there is a black box. Nobody wants, nobody knows how, how that works. So uh, because nobody knows how that engine works, we will know, we, we, we are not sure where this engine will drag us to, right? So suddenly it might take a, a, a hard ride and drag us to, I don't know, to a bush. Why we wanted to go to New York. And that's what I think. That's why I ask you this question. But yeah. on so, that, okay, go ahead. So there's, there's two things. First of all, with regards to due diligence, I mean, take an example that literally came out yesterday with, and you mentioned Google. So Google, Google's subsidiary Sidewalk Labs was going to build a smart city in Toronto, you know, over something like 180 acres. And they just scrapped it. They spent $50 million developing it, the whole thing, developing the idea. And they scrapped it as of a couple of days ago. It, now they say it's because of the pandemic, but it was also beset by um, a PR problem which has its source with ethical problems because lots of people, citizens of Toronto, activists, people in tech were fired up about the lack of transparency about what they're going to do with all the data they're collecting with the smart city. Okay. Right. So that was $50 million because they didn't do their ethical due diligence. If they had sort of said like, we need to really think carefully about the kind of data that we're generating and collecting and how we're supposed to share it and how we're communicating that to relevant stakeholders. They didn't do any of that. So they faced a backlash, which ultimately, at least partly, if not not significantly, uh, contributed to the pulling of the whole project. That's, wow. that, that's, so, that's a so, so that me that's where you guys come to play. So anybody that is listening to us and is building an app or an ecosystem of apps or a software platform, whatever that drives AI, which, uh, as I understand from what you read said, can always make a mistake because it keeps learning all the time. And that you always need to prepare that ethical part of it because it also influence your peer, like uh, your public relations, right? Because you can, what you that's what I, that's what you said. I understand this way that if you have that ethical process or strategy underneath your project, and then you, yep. you just go on the front and say, hey, guys, we're building this and the way we handle your data or the way we practice that or the way we keep the teach our algorithms is like this or like that. Because honestly saying, I'm, 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 I'm a big fan of Gmail, but every time they update something with AI and my spam filter is getting better and better, I'm happy. But how they do it? No way, man. I don't know what they read. <laughs> <laughs> on my yeah. in my mailbox to get that smart yeah. to get that spam filter smarter so <laughs> yeah. okay yeah okay yeah i mean yeah sometimes you don't care because it's so low stakes yes like, of course filter an email it's relative i mean you could lose a crucial email i suppose but you know it's not that high stakes in a way you know it's not life and death 
Um, so, you know, the, the, the higher the stakes, the more it's important to get, get your, do your ethical due diligence properly. And if you're talking about any technology is going to impact society in a big way, then, you know, do your, do your due diligence. Right. And, right. you know, to, to the earlier, to the other point that you were talking about, we can't explain these things. They're black boxes. It might take a left. I want to go right. It might take to New York. I don't want to go there. I can't control it then. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that to me is an issue of, um, the question is why is explainability important? So there's a bunch of people in the AI ethics space who, who are, um, very concerned about the black, the, the black box nature of AI. Uh -huh. Um, and that we need explainability. It's, it's absolutely ethically essential that we have explainability. I'm not, I, I'm, I'm convinced that we need explainability, that explainability is necessary in some cases and not in all cases. If it's going to make decisions about whether someone gets probation, hell yeah, we need an explanation. Um, and that's because if we're going to tell someone you're not getting probation, you're going back to jail for another two years, but we don't exactly know why we're doing that. That's, that's to violate something like fairness, trust, respect, like that's all screwed up. Okay. If, if you just want your thing though, just to get it right. And you know, and explainability is necessary for like fairness and justice and respect and stuff like that. Then I don't think explainability is necessary. And the trust involved is distinct. So like we want to trust our political institutions that they're operating in a just manner. We don't care about justice when yes. the thing is trying to turn, figure out whether to turn left or right. Like we just want the damn thing to work well. And so there it's not trusting if it's like, it's not trusting in the, the, the AI and the way that we want to tr have trust in our political governance. It's that we want to trust that it will take a left turn when it should take a left turn and it won't take a left turn when it shouldn't take a left turn. Like that's, that's mm -hmm. it. So, and if you've got, if you've done your testing properly and you've got like a million cases of, of, potential left-hand turns and it, and it always gets it right. You might not know how it gets it right every time, but the fact that it gets right and has a phenomenal track record, that might be sufficient reason to trust that the thing will operate well. I like that analogy. So um, uh, putting in my words is like, um, you don't need to understand um, justice, um, institutions, the procedures and everything like that. It's always great to know the law, but I'm not talking about like studying the law. I'm saying that you don't need to understand like the justice departments or whatever, how they work to trust them. So, um, but that trust comes from acting. So how they act, what they do, how they solve issues, mm -hmm. then you get trust. So if we have more and more AI based product around and we start get, getting to understand that that result is better because artificial intelligence is behind. So great example is YouTube. Like, when you look for the specific video, uh, it used to be tags and text. Now they can read the video inside. They can give you a specific a second when uh, you should um, start watching because that's the second when your dilemma yeah. is that your challenge is and you don't need to watch the whole thing. So and after a couple examples or a couple uh, challenges, you find it very useful you will find that AI as a good thing. So, but you don't need to understand what they do to give you that result, right? So yeah. that's how- That's a good example, yeah. That's a, that's yeah, I mean, in the political case, in the political case, we often do care about not just results, we care about process. Yeah. And in fact, we think that whether, whether the situation is a just one depends upon how the process unfolded. Okay. Right, yes. so like due process, um, you know, court, court 
court conclusions or uh, decisions of de uh, decisions of juries can be challenged on the grounds that the process wasn't a, a fair one, right? Um, and similarly with AI, sometimes the process matters a great deal, um, especially if it's making decisions about who gets the mortgage, who gets who gets uh, insurance, uh, who gets the job, etc. But there are other cases where the process doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I yeah, got sorry, that. Sorry, hold so, on one second. Sure. Guys, we have uh, questions waiting on the line. So um, in a minute, I'll start asking them. So, Reed, what you're saying is basically um, that we, uh, but I mean, the other thing is that, so I guess the industry or people that evangelize about AI, they also need to put a lot of effort in explaining people. Um, um, that this is something that they can benefit from and um, that it's like a it's like Airbnb at the beginning everybody you know the geeks early adopters they understood that but for many people it sounds kind of bizarre that you will be like staying in somebody's house or place or room um, but after a while they keep doing a great job explaining people how that works communicating um, safety procedures even now in the COVID-19 times, they implement a lot of different rules as well. So this is a lot of work for uh, industry and people like you and your colleagues and friends and universities and academia to explain uh, what is it and we, we shouldn't be afraid of that. But, but uh, uh, the last question I have, and then I want to ask a few questions that people left here in the comments is, I know that you guys are working on a very, uh, uh, very great customers and um i pick up only one because <laughs> that sounds exotic to me chips under the skin yeah, yeah. and uh, i know that today i can keep my uh, key car in my pocket and when i'm in the kind of couple feet range my car will open for me um uh, i have a car that if i stick into the reader i will open the door or open an elevator or pay and uh, in a terminal or whatever everything is kind of touchless i mean i can only be i need to be around but um i still have to take it out and remember to pick it up and have it in my pocket uh somebody can put it out under my skin so i i don't even bother so uh tell us if it's a uh, it's possible if it will come or it's so many uh, people don't understand that so well that we'll be eventually afraid of getting that, you know, shoot in under your skin and sitting right there and, you know, and just probably being visible through your skin. <laughs> yeah. So I, so one of my clients is a company called biohacks based in Sweden. Um, and this is exactly what they do. They put chips in people's skin. They call it getting chipped. Man. So, um, it sounds super screwed up, right? It's about the, it's about the size of a grain of rice. It goes in the sort of fleshy part of your hand between your thumb and your forefinger. Um, and you can't really see it unless like you sort of like feel for it or push for it or whatever. And you can put all sorts of information on there. So you can put your Metro card on there. Uh, you can put your car keys, you can, you know, access for doors, you know, the front door to your house or maybe super in your cool. office. Um, you can put your medical history information there. So let's say you're in a car accident and rather than being a John Doe, the, you know, you go to the ER and someone scans it and they know your name, they know your medical history, they know what drugs you're allergic to. 
But like this whole thing sounds like, frankly, it sounds fucked up, right? Like it sounds, are you serious? Are you going to put a chip in people's hands? This is, this is, the, this is peak surveillance, right? right. Now, as with many technologies, it's not necessarily, it is sort of how it's built, but it also crucially it's how it's deployed. So I worked with them to figure out how do we make this thing trustworthy? Uh -huh. um, num for two reasons. Number one, to earn the trust of clients or potential clients to turn them into clients. And number two, earn the, the trust um, of government so they don't come in and regulate the company out of existence. Right? So okay. the, the owner of this company, Juan, um, recognized one, he, he sort of cares about the ethics for its own sake. In fact, he's doing this in part because he cares about privacy, not because he wants it violated. It's a way of, in his mind, um, trying to secure the privacy of individuals. Um, and because he wants to, he, since he's like the first actor in this space, he wants to make sure to do it responsibly because he believes other people will, will try to come in and be irresponsible and thereby put him out of business because the government will put him out. So the question is, how do you do it responsibly, right? So right. here's a couple things. Number number one, there's no GPS in the chip. There's no GPS. It's all it's all NFC, near field communication. Okay. So there's not a way of like tracking someone's location and movements using GPS because it just does not have GPS capability. Okay. The second thing um, is they explicitly refuse to work with any company that will require their employees to be chipped. They won't even work with companies that, that, that strongly encourage their employees to be chipped. They want to make sure that the choice to be chipped is autonomous, is made by, made by the, by me. the chip. Um, and then one of my one of my sort of favorite examples, or one of the things that I, that, that I recommended that I took on, is look, you're doing a kind of quasi medical procedure. Or you're you're injecting something into yeah. some skin. Um, when you do a medical procedure, you need informed consent. And since what you're doing is really scary, um, not necessarily dangerous, but very scary, you need to have super duper informed consent. So how can we get super duper informed consent? And he had mentioned to me. Uh, you know, at another conversation that they have a kind of a uh, prototype version where they put the chip on the back of a sticker and put the sticker on your hand. And so I said, look, this is what you should do. You should, number one, before anyone takes it, does this, they have to sort of take a kind of tutorial and answer questions on a quiz. So they know exactly what they're getting into and you know that they know because they've taken this quiz. Um, similarly, I have an electric scooter and I had to, before I was allowed to, before the Bluetooth would allow my scooter to operate, I had to sort of take a tutorial on safety safety features and precautions. Right, right, right. But the other thing that they had to do was I said, you should have your clients or potential clients go through an onboarding process where they have to wear the chip on the sticker on their hand for five days to simulate the experience. So that when they, at the end of those five days, they have a really good sense of what it is that they're signing up for. So that when they say, yes, this is why I sort of call it like, you know, super duper informed consent. They don't have, just sort of have like book knowledge about what's going on. They have a kind of experience that will reveal to them what it's like to have a chip in your hand. Okay. So you're getting as close as possible to the real thing so that when you get informed consent, it's really robust informed consent. And that's the kind of thing that builds trust from both potential clients and, and government bodies. You you're taking the welfare and the, you're taking the welfare and the self-determination of your clients very seriously. You mentioned before about this Google and uh, Toronto um, um, part of the city project. 
which kind yeah. of like stopped or were like somebody put the brake, uh, somebody puts yeah. the brake. But it sounds to me like here, that company, they need to do a lot of grand work to communicate that to people because what you say, I understand. And but my mom, you know, she needs to be kind of like, you know, yeah. pitched the other way. I mean, more or less technological and more like, I don't know, benefit what the benefits are, whatever it is. But um, to to make that to to implement that on the on the scale, on the global scale, that's something that people will need to be very very um, aware of uh, how that works. It's not hard. Yeah. It's going to harm yeah. them. That kind of stuff, right? So there's a lot of yeah. public relationship and communication Fine. about transparency, I guess, right? Yeah, I mean, the way that I put it is that I give the PR people something genuine and real to talk about, something substantive to talk about. So rather than just hiring some PR person saying, hey, tell, tell, tell them they can trust me. <laughs> uh, right. That's not really necessarily believable. On the other hand, tell them that these are the, these are the five concrete things we've done to protect the you know the the welfare the privacy uh, and the autonomy of people tell them these are the these are the concrete things that we do that's that's something substantive so here are all the benefits of what we do you might be scared of, of this and that but here here are our policies that we strictly adhere to here's the you know the kind of tutorial that we require of people here's the the onboarding process actually they call it an inboarding process inboarding um uh, you know, these are the things that we do. So then when your PR goes out to sort of say, hey, you can trust us, it's not, if you like, mere PR. It's not spin. It's genuine communication about your ethical credentials. Okay. Okay. Oh, man, thank you for this. Um, uh, since yeah. we are like um, uh, at the 40 minutes of our conversation, let me shoot a few questions I have here on chat. Yeah. The first one is, uh, that's, that's, that's the question I'm going to read that. If we build a platform based on big data and new and machine learning, do we should do should we make an audit by some external team? How to be sure that what is built inside is kind of ethical and stuff like that? So to me, it sounds like uh, let's say I'm building something. Of course, I can hire you. You can help me. But then um, should I also hire somebody else to make sure that? my processes are proper that everything is ethical maybe they will find some flaws about uh, what i'm doing and i should communicate the transparency better whatever it's like what would be your what would be your recommendation for people they working on that yeah i mean i mean the truth is that that's that's in some way you know what what i do which is i, I act as a kind of third party you know um, so I'm a kind of auditor if they depend on what stage they brought me in. Sometimes I get brought in during the sort of the concept phase, um, sometimes a little bit later than that. Um, sometimes when things have been up and running, but, you know, V2 is going to come out soon or V5 or whatever. And, you know, they want to they want to make it better. Um, so there's all you know, that's if you like, I play a kind of quasi auditing function. Now, there isn't other than like me and maybe a handful of other people, there isn't anyone really doing that kind of that kind of work. Um, so at the at the moment, so so long as there's no regulations that require it, um, there's just a kind of you know how do how do we build the ethical process within our organization so that when we develop and deploy products or when we procure those products from third party vendors, what's the ethical due diligence that we're going through? What does our um, what do we how do we train our people to smell ethical smoke? Um, if they smell smoke. What have we put in place? For what, what's the alarm that they can pull? When they pull that alarm, who does it go to? The people that it goes to, what's, what, are the, what powers do they have? 
uh, what's their what's their jurisdiction? What are their decision criteria about what to do about that smoke and determine whether or not there's really a fire? So this is really first and foremost building up internal capacities for ethical risk ethical risk assessment. Um, there may come a day when regulators decide there needs to be third party reviews, um, yeah. and that might that might happen. We don't have it yet, but you know that's what happens. In, that's what happens in healthcare, for instance, right? right. You have you have IRBs and you have ethics committees, um, and I think we're going to we're, we're likely see that sort of thing with tech as well. Right now, um, it's it's on it's on companies to do it themselves, and they're if you're like you know there are obviously ethical reasons for doing it, but there's also just straightforward bottom line ROI reasons having to do with reputational risk, legal risk, regulatory risk, etc. Okay. Okay. Hey, here's another question. I'm not sure if that is um, uh, for you, but maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. There is a question about the chip under the skin. What happens if it's going to be hacked or somebody, you know, can get in into that? It's still NFC. Um, yeah. Can you give us any comment? Yeah, I can't go into too many details here because I don't know because cybersecurity is not my thing. But the short of it is that it's all it's all on the blockchain. So that's one one thing that's got done to protect people, okay. um, and it is NFC. Um, so I know that they've done, you know, they have cyber experts who've worked with them to to repel hackers. But hacking, cyber hacking, is not my expertise. Okay, okay. Thank you anyway for picking it you up. You can check out. It's bio. I think it's bio. It's biohacks. B i o h i x. I think it's dot com. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I put it here in the comments because I was on that page before. Uh, preparing for the conversation with you. So yeah. the last question, I guess, because it's 1045, um, we don't want to take more of your time, Reed. It's what are your thoughts on the politicians and key decision makers who are not familiar with AI being put in charge on making rules and regulations or either interviewing, you know, putting a pressure of Facebook and other companies? That's my part of the questions. So I would like to join with that, um, with Anurag. That's he asked the question. So. What's your thoughts about that? I mean, it's, it's messed up, right? So, um, I mean, you know, you remember when Zuckerberg went before Congress, they didn't understand the very basics of how Facebook works. Oh, Facebook, right? yeah. And that's Facebook. I right? remember that famous saying like, rerun ads, Mr. Pro, Mr. Congressman or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Like, how, do you, how do you make any money? We run ads. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, if they don't understand that, they sure as hell don't understand machine learning. Um, so it's a problem, I and mean, we need we need a tremendous amount of education about these things. Um, and our politicians, they're few few and far between understand it. Um, uh -huh. To the extent that they do understand it, they they understand products like specific products like deep fakes, right? Um, so they can wrap their heads around deep fakes, but they can't under, wrap their heads around the underlying technology that fuels so many other kinds of products that are that are that politicians, regulators, government should be thinking very seriously about. So they understand products and they also understand a little bit uh, sort of something like big data, data collection, uh -huh. things like that, uh -huh. target marketing. They kind of understand that stuff. Um, there were five senators who asked Google recently about what kind of data they were collecting and what they were doing with that data around COVID. Um, so that's something that five senators cared about it enough to and knew enough about it. But a lot of education needs to go on a lot. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's really, frankly, it's not just our politicians. It's people in the C-suite, right? Like if you're if you're a non-technical, non-engineer CEO, 
you might not just know very much about AI. You might just say like, that's like, oh, that's like cyber stuff. Like yes. I'll let my tech team take care. That, that's, um, why, that's why but I, the truth is, yeah, that's why I'm sorry interrupting you. That's why I uh, reached to you because um, um, people, it, it, turns, it looks to me that people, they, when they feel artificial intelligence, they somewhere close to, you know, robots and something from Mars. And yeah. they don't, they don't, that's, that's my experience. Like being in business, yeah. I work mostly with managers, business managers. So they yeah. say, oh, artificial intelligence, that's the IT, which is yeah, like, right. and I always like to ask, do you watch YouTube? And they say, of course I use, I love YouTube. There's a lot of AI right there. And yeah. it helps you to find videos or part of videos. Right. Yeah. So, and they say, really? It's like, I just watch YouTube. And then when you start talking about the apps, the Spotify engines, whatever it is, they understand how, because um, what I can see, they, they, they start to understand wh where is it. And then um, they, uh, they start to think about, because they, they, they usually development managers, product development, they start to think about how they can start dragging some stuff to their products. Like, what does it mean to make a toothbrush smarter? What does it mean? Like, um, yeah. it's like, it's like it's connected to iPhone or, or Android phone. What, so what, but yeah. what, what does it yeah. mean to make it smarter? Right. And I remember yeah, there was a good, there's a book I was reading about artificial intelligence, uh, published by Harvard business review. There was an article by inside, uh, written by the, uh, AI chief of Facebook. And he said, when he joined Facebook a couple years ago, several years ago, uh, he found it hard to drag business people to AI people and talk about business because business considered them as like geeks. They are working so on the future. And then he went back to them and say, Hey, what's your business problem? Tell us about few business problems. And we start to attack that problems yeah. with that AI. And then when they found a solution and introduced that to business people, they start, um, you know, um, uh, they, that's where the trust began. So yeah, that yeah. kind of thing you're talking about, but it seems like there is a lot of educational needs on the market, like educating, educating, educating people about AI. What is it? How to use that? Because eventually oh. it's going to be ar around us, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, the truth is that I think some of those business people, they are a little bit, I think, I think they're, frankly, I think they're intellectually intimidated by it. I think they think, oh shit, artificial intelligence, machine learning, like this is all engineering stuff. Like I yes. went to B school. I'm, I don't do that. And like, I think they're frankly, I think they're afraid that they're not going to understand it and no one wants to sort of take a class. They know they're going to fail. Right. Um, so, but the truth is the truth is the concepts are not that complicated, right? Like learning by example, not that complicated. Right? Um, you know, you can understand plenty about AI and machine learning by understanding the concepts without having to learn how to code. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so some of it is sort of fear reduction so that you can, so that they'll come to the table so that you can educate them. You're right. Right. Okay. The last part is some, um, <clears throat> there's more question coming, but <clears throat> let's, uh, leave them for later. Maybe. Um, yeah, they can reach out to me directly. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Uh, uh, one, one thing, uh, if you could give, like we're talking to, uh, founders here, business managers, basically business people. If you can give yeah. them from your perspective, piece of advice um, um, uh, regarding the ethics and AI, what that would be? I mean, look, 
don't waste your time talking about AI ethics principles like a lot of companies do. This is not a theoretical issue. It's a hard-nosed practical issue. How do we not screw, screw things up? How do we not wind up in the news media, in the social media, beat up on glass door, whatever, right? So um, the, the question is, what you, the, the thing that you have to walk away with this is that you need to operationalize ethical risk management. You need to figure out what are the concrete things that we can do on a systematic way that, that gets built into workflow to mitigate those risks. Now, there's a bunch of things that you need to do. In fact, if you want to tell you, if you want me to tell you the, the very first thing or the most mm-hmm. important thing, it's create an ethical risk due diligence process and figure out where in the joints of the organization you're going to put that. That's 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 a very important first step that you can do with, you know, not that much expenditure of resources, frankly. Okay. Okay. Does that answer your question? Yes, of course, of course, of course. It answered that. And I know that you are trying to say people, they should jump into the topic, start learning by the example. And, but also uh, the, the spending time of um, uh, evaluating uh, what's the risk are they, they are taking, what can happen when the scenario will go wrong and kind of like predict that so they can act in advance, not wait for um, by the way, I'm still thinking about this Google, what they did wrong uh, in that Toronto that they yeah. have to start it out. But that's a, another whole topic. Hey, guys, please remember, yeah. uh, read. Uh, he, uh, we will send you guys, all of you that register on the Eventbrite, we will send you a copy of this uh, conversation. will be a link to the YouTube video, but also... Um, uh, Reed will wrap up a little bit about this conversation, put it on a one pager or maybe a slide, and we will send it to you with his contact data and his company data. So you can guys go directly to him, join him, uh, connect with him on LinkedIn and find him in the cyberspace so you can have a, a conversation. I'm sorry we could not answer uh, ask the old questions, but um, I'm trying to be a time sensitive here because my guests are usual business people. They're busy. They have a lot of stuff to do. So I'm, I'm flattered they join here and uh, spend the time with us. Reed, thanks a lot, buddy. Um, uh, I enjoy that a lot. People, um, I think they like it too. I will be sending materials. You stay safe in New York, man. Thanks, man. Take care. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.